pays pals, pay pals, pay interviews, awesome people who happen to be his pals, pay pals. Hey there, how you doing? You are listening to Pay Pals, and today I am interviewing my pal Aaron. I would consider him one of the best people I could have met in my first few weeks in Bangkok. Not only because he's a cool guy and we get along quite well, but he has a very nuanced and I would say insightful view of Thailand from a foreigner's perspective, which I am. So I really feel like I'm getting the full 360 view of my new home and not just the positives like the elephant pants, the pad thai, the rooftop bars, and so on. In fact, I would actually consider him one of my shepherds here. So this weird thing just happened and I'll tell him and then he will confirm that it is indeed a thing here. We also have quite a lot in common, starting from our backgrounds and why, despite both of us being born in the West, me in the US and Aaron in Australia, we ended up moving to Asia to focus on lifestyle and relationships rather than staying in the West and focusing on work. We also both started from corporate backgrounds before starting our own businesses. And most importantly, at this current moment, we are both cutting weight while battling the temptation and the lure of donuts. Aaron is a productivity and systems expert that helps companies and executives improve their performance. Actually, there's one more parallel here because I hired someone almost exactly like him a few years ago, and it completely changed my life. There's no exaggeration about that. I was stressed out, I was anxious, and hiring this person led me to perform better with more efficiency with better systems in my life. Life, just like Aaron gives. In this episode, we have a pretty wide-ranging talk about Thai politics and staying out of the international spotlight, the prominence of mommy and daddy issues in Asia and really across the world, how to make effective snap judgments on people, and the major benefits when you finally live in a place where you look like the majority of the people there. Thanks, Aaron. Okay. You were saying something earlier about Western hypocrisy, right? Can you tell me a little bit what, what you are mean we, by are that? Are we going to start there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are we going to start on the heavy one? Sure. No yeah. intro, no nothing. Straight, no. straight to Western hypocrisy? Intro comes later, yeah. All right, all right. Um, so Western hypocrisy is like, specifically the US, likes to paint itself as the beacon on the hill, the shining light on the hill, right? And there's a very good reason why they have to do that, because no other country on the planet is doing that. So they feel the, they feel the gap? Do they feel the void with that? They feel a position that is needed in the world, which is a country that is the shining example of what all other countries should be. And world police. And world police. There's a, there's a great book from the 90s called The Problem from Hell, uh-huh. which is a question about American foreign policy and as to whether the US should be policing the world and what would happen if America did not police the world. And the general premise, and this is where the Western hypocrisy comes in, is that if America did not police the world, the world would turn to savagery and third world conditions, and everything would fall apart. So, okay, there is kind of a basis for that argument, but at the same time, it's like, are you serious? Like, what is it, seven point whatever billion people on the planet cannot function without 300 million people governing what they do and policing what they do every single day of their lives. Right. You're right. And when you actually look into America and how its society is structured, you, that's where you end up with Western hypocrisy. Right. Right. They're like, look, you, you're holding yourself up as an example of what it means to be the most moral society, the best society on the planet. But when anyone takes a close examination or even a cursory examination of what your society is actually like, right. it's a totally different story. I think America just carries the biggest stick. That too. Yeah. Uh, what is it? 12 aircraft carriers now? 14 maybe? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No other country comes close. No. Well, why right. should they? They're... Yeah. <laughs> there's only, there's already someone filling the gap. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to extend that idea of Western hypocrisy, if you think about like the the current conflict going on as we record this is the U.S. and China. Yes. Right now, living in Thailand, we actually don't hear that much about it. Right? We like the U.S. and China are in competition. Okay, sure, that hasn't changed, right? But I recently started reading more American media. Oh boy! Right, and it's everywhere. Every single day, there is an article about how America's biggest rival, militarily, economically, strategically, is China, and how they're gearing up for war with China. Yeah. And I'm like, really? We're going there already? This is like the media basically, you know, slowly indoctrinating the population into like, we are going to go fight China. Why? Why on earth would you want to go fight China? Because we got to be number one, man. Right. And that's really what it's about. This is what it's about. That's what it's about. Amer- can America really live in a world where it's not number one? Right? Uh, yeah. I don't know how you how you conceptualized America growing up in Australia, but in, in <laughs> since I was a kid growing up in, in the California, I was like, you get indoctrinated with the... The myth of American exceptionalism, right? Yes. Number one, we are number one. Beacon on the hill. Everything we do is better. Healthcare yes. is better. Uh, our, our, I don't know. Our, our cooking is better. It's not. None of these things are better, <laughs> but like, 
You know, uh, I, I think a lot of it is identity based, and like when you don't have that identity, when someone threatens mm. to take that over from you, like even China, and you know, I'm Taiwanese mm. slash Chinese, we're mm. all Chinese, right? So, what do you do? You you can only defend, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the hypocrisy I also feel comes in like America will often use human rights issues, political freedom issues, press freedom issues as ways of criticizing other countries. Without looking at their own track record, and this is not just the U.S. This is the West, but by the West, I mean Europe and all its uh, successor states in general. <laughs> like I think people forget a few hundred years ago, the Europeans essentially colonized and enslaved Africa. Yes, right. They yeah. moved into the you know into the Americas, into Australia, Canada, and basically destroyed all the indigenous way of life forever. Yeah, you mean right? imperialism? Yeah, yeah, imperialism, right? And to then turn around and and say to countries now that like oh what you're doing with this segment of your population is wrong, right? It's a little hypocritic, hypocritical, right? Now is what those nations doing correct? No, I don't believe so. But do the Western powers of be have the moral authority to then turn around and say that look we would never do this? Well, you kind of did. did. It's just a while ago. Yeah, you know. It's like no, no, no. It's a, you need to amend it. We would never do this right now because we have power and because money we have now. now. Yeah, we don't because we don't need to. We don't need to do this. Anymore. We're not in your position. We would never do this because we're not in your position. Oh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about Japan. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. so Pei made the interesting observation that the only expansionist power in Asia really was Japan. Yeah, and I made the point that well, who did they learn that from? Yeah, they opened the gates and like this is the <laughs> along with the spice trade. You know? This is what they got. Yeah, yeah. they were, they're just like oh well, if every great power is taking. Colonies, maybe we should too. Yeah. Maybe that's just a thing that's done when you join the Great Powers Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so if you notice, that's the only country in in, in, in Asia. Asia that yeah, because because the Asian mentality is not that at all. The Asian mentality is like we've built our own version of utopia slash dystopia slash right. What we want, and right. the rest of you barbarians can keep out. What is it about? What is it about Asian culture that's like that? It's just like we're happy on our own, or it's just like what's the point? What is it? I think or, it's a bit of both. Or is it like the culture where it's like, uh, you know, it's not individualistic? It's all, it's all three things. It's together, all related, right? Yeah. So anyway, it's good to be in Thailand. It is very yeah. good to be in Thailand. It's, uh, it kind of flies under the radar on the international level. And then um, I find that I kind of prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> I find that for my own personal peace of mind. It's kind of nice. I know you're, you're saying that you live through two military coups and maybe we'll have one. Maybe we'll have them in two weeks. But like, it's hard to get, it's hard to get up for this kind of stuff because, you know, coming from the U.S. and all the doom and gloom and like, I mean, Jesus, I left the U.S. in 2016 and then, I mean, some, some mm. wild shit was happening then, right? Still is. Still is, seven years later. You so. went to 2024, man. It's going to be uh, uh, all yeah. over again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see how the bots spin this one. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's really nice to be here because it just feels like I don't have to think about that. And there's a plus of being in a foreign country where I don't understand the primary language, which is that I really don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's like this kind of willful ignorance that is, I guess it's blissful ignorance, really. Yes. So you've been here how long? Ooh, I first came in 2008 to live properly. So what was I mean? That 12, 15, 15 years on and off, but 15 years. Yeah. Wow. And then that was, what was that, right? When you graduated from university? Yes, that was straight off university. Why didn't you stay? So you, okay, sorry. We should, we can back up and do background yeah, sure, now. Sure. So you grew up in? In Australia, in Sydney. You know, despite uh, every Western immigration officer like anything otherwise, I was actually born in Australia. So when I say right. I'm Australian, I actually am Australian. No, no, um, no. But where are you from? I know, <laughs> yeah. Pei. Where am I from? Where are you well, from? well, the long convoluted <laughs> yeah, yeah, version yeah. is my grandparents fled the Chinese Civil War after World War Two. Oh, okay. When the communists took over. So um, your parents, so your grandparents basically went to Australia while mine went to Taiwan. Mine actually came here to Thailand. They settled oh. on a border town between Malaysia and Thailand mm -hmm. called Sungaikaluk. Mm -hmm. It still exists. It's still there. You can go visit it today. Sure. Um, and they were involved in some uh, <laughs> interesting businesses down there. Let's okay. I'll say for that. <laughs> okay. Um, and my parents, funnily enough, were actually from the same town. They just never met there. They met in Australia. Oh, my cool. sister and I were born. It's cute, yeah. man. It's nice. So that's where I'm from from. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. But you know, when a, when a white person asks you that, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Chinese, like, bro. Like, just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. get over it, get over I it. I spat yeah. into a test shoe. I'm Chinese. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you grew up there and then uh, what was the feeling? You just, you never felt like you wanted to stay or you, something so, pulled you or something pushed so you? So Australia's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's a Western country. It's very close to Asia. And during the 80s and 90s, more in the 90s towards early 2000s, immigration from Asia was a huge thing. So a lot of influence from Asia. Yeah. But before that, most of our Asian influence is from Hong Kong. 
right? Okay. Like Bruce Lee era, Jackie Chan. Sure. Old action movies, all that good stuff, right? So very, very strong Hong Kong Chinese influence, which is very different from mainland Chinese modern day PRC influence. Extremely, extremely Super different. different. Super different. And in Australia, we're far from everywhere. The closest, I mean, New Zealand is, I, <laughs> we don't really think of New Zealand as a separate country, but the closest other major country is like a good six, seven, eight, nine hours away by plane. What would that be? Singapore, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I guess so. Yeah, okay, like, if you want to define that. Okay, sure. Yeah, like it's probably the closest major destination you can fly to. I mean, now nowadays you can go to Indonesia and stuff, but back then it wasn't on the radar. Okay. So there's that. So we're very isolated. Internet wasn't a thing when I was growing up. So American influence was very little. Okay. It was very small. We had our own little parochial little in the middle of nowhere, Western democracy and that kind of stuff. Um, and so Australians travel a lot because of that, because we're so isolated from the rest of the world. And in my particular case, uh, I spent a semester in the US during mm-hmm. college, mm-hmm. during university, and I kind of liked it. So I said, I'm going to move. I'm going to leave Australia when I graduate. And I did. Oh, so it was like a case of like, um, I want to see more or this place is too small or I'm bored. Uh, I actually won what's called the green card lottery. Oh, yeah, really? It's so the U.S. gives out green cards to people every year by random lottery, and in Australia, almost no one ever applies. So I applied and I got it. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, and what they didn't don't tell you is when you get it, they give you six months to move. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so. I did. I did a quick pit stop in Thailand. Yeah, and then I went straight to the U.S. After that, and that was Austin. That was San Francisco. Oh, yeah. How was it back then? Expensive. Yeah. Uh, dirty. Yeah. Lots of homeless people. So not too different from not, now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's gotten worse. I think we actually overlapped in SF for a few Very years. Very possibly. Right. Yeah. I was there from 2009 to 2016. Yeah. I would have left to the tail in 2009. So oh, I didn't stay okay. that long. Well, yeah. you know. I, I officially packed up everything, I think like 2013, 2014, but I was mm. gone before then. Yeah. And then where did you, where did that take you? So I got... A little disillusioned living in San Francisco, actually. I wonder um, why, yeah. I mean, it was good yeah. for the first like year or so I was there. I met a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people. It was great. But everyone made their money, right? I made my money, they made their money, and everyone started leaving because it's not the most hospital place on the planet. It's, it's not, not, not the most livable city. Not right? livable and also expensive. So what, yeah. what are we doing here? So yeah. everyone started leaving. So I was like, oh, my friends are gone. I guess I'm going to leave. So I spent a while traveling around Europe and Asia. Yeah. And I was like, you know, Thailand was pretty good. Let me give that a go again. Yeah. Right. And so here we are. So straight here. Yeah, straight to Thailand. I mean, I spent some time living in London, in Europe, and stuff, but okay. uh, it wasn't for okay. me. So. Do you feel like there's a there's a cultural difference that wasn't for you in 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 Europe? Uh, yes. And there's also another thing, which is going to sound terrible when I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's always better to live in a country where you look like the majority. Oh, that's uh, of course that's true. Of yeah. course that's true. Yeah. That's never been the case for me until I got to Asia, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always better. Yeah. I gotta tell you, when I was in SF, I even though SF is so Asian, it is. Uh, You're still not, you yeah. know, white, blonde hair, blue eyed American. Yeah, I don't really know the other any other way to put it. Then sometimes you really do feel like a second class citizen or uh, invisible <laughs> I, at best. I have a way of putting it for you. That's a bit, okay. a bit friendlier. Um, so I like playing video games. Right, I play RPGs. When you play an RPG, they give you a starting character, the default, right, which is usually a human male. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. Being a Caucasian white skinned male in a western country yeah. is the default character right you have no inherent crazy advantages you have no inherent disadvantages right any variation on that like you know in say in a fantasy land like a tolkien fantasy land you play an elf or a dwarf sure. or a goblin or whatever it is right yeah people are going to perceive you differently it's the same thing with race mm. or ethnicity rather if you look asian you look indian you look you know um black people are going to perceive you differently yeah rightly or wrongly I mean, I've never, I don't think I've crazily experienced the second class citizen aspect, yeah. but definitely different perceptions based on just how I look. Uh, well, I can just, yeah, fair enough. I think it's just, I think they're very subtle things, right? Yes. Back then we wouldn't call them microaggressions, but it's just like very small <laughs> things, right? Where it's like these people would not like look at me or they would not talk to me or they would look over me or they would like introduce Treat themselves. Treat you differently. Treat you differently. Yeah. Yes. As I am yeah. not one of the whites. So. Yeah. I mean, I still get that when I go back to Australia sometimes. Really? Yeah. We were... Um, I was walking with a couple of barrister friends of mine down the main street, George Street in Sydney. Yeah. And this young, I mean, to be fair, he was intoxicated and young. Australian kid, um, white, came up to us and he was like, go back to your country. Stop stealing a lot of jobs, you fucking chinks. Right? And tried to start a fight with us. What? Um, and keeping in mind, like, I had come from work, so I'm wearing a full business suit. Right. My friends are barristers. They're literally wearing law robes. Right, right, right. right? right, 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 right. I'm like, what is this? 
you know. <laughs> I don't think we're competing for the same jobs. Uh, what is this? Yeah. Who is this man? Oh, man. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. That happens. That's part of it. And I always get told when I go back to Australia, oh, you have really good English. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. So you, do you. You too. You too, I guess. Person? Yeah. <laughs> right? Shouldn't I? And then here, it's, uh, you know, you're... Chinese or your Thai is shit, right? Because of our face. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I learned Thai being yeah. here, um, yeah. and it's helped a lot. Yeah. So just because people expect you to speak because you look Asian. <laughs> it's a downside, really. That's a downside. So then you landed in uh, in Thailand, and then how was it for? Do you feel like you like came home? You know, you're in the majority. No, race. It definitely was. Uh, I mean, yes, that, but it was definitely a long adjustment period. And keep in mind, I came to Thailand. The BTS had just been finished, uh, brand new. Skytrain. Skytrain. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it stands for, what is it, Bangkok Transport System? Train System? Something, I don't know. I can't think of it now, yeah. Yeah, but BTS Skytrain, um, which is yeah. the sort of, it's not a monorail, but it's the train that runs above ground here. Yes. MCartier, across from us, yeah. uh, didn't exist. Oh, okay. Didn't exist. Paragon was brand new oh, at the time. Okay. It's like the new place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very different. Yeah, different. Right? Grab didn't exist. Uh, mobile internet was terrible. They had no 3G. Oh. Like, this was like... This is a wild, wild, wild west. Wild, wild, wild west days. This man. is like a Hanoi like, or Saigon. Like, this was like, a, I think it was the end of the dial-up modem era when I first got here. Okay. Like, there was, some, there was still people using dial-up modems here. Oh, shit. At the time I got here. And we switched to, like, very slow DSL after that. Like, one megabit kind of DSL. Oh, I haven't heard know? those words in a yeah, sentence in I a know, long time. I know. <laughs> yeah. That, those were the days. Wow. Um, also, a lot fewer expats in general. Really? Okay. Yeah. So here's, here's another interesting tidbit. Um, in Thailand, we like to call foreigners expats, expatriates. Yes. yes. Unless Me you too. are from a laboring country like Burma or yeah. Laos or Cambodia, then we call you immigrants. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> immigrant yeah. workers. That's yeah. hilarious. The migrant workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Migrant yeah. workers. Migrant like, workers. Technically, we are all migrant workers, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people also call them slaves, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, I'm like expat. So expat just means you're from a wealthy country. That's all. <laughs> uh, basically, expat is like expat is. We want you here. Yeah. Uh, the migrant labor is like well, they, they need the migrant labor. We need you, but we, we don't like you. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of. We don't yeah. really want to see you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you do. You know. You do help us bag our groceries yes. and stuff. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> so then the difference between you being a majority face now, mm. did you start to feel that? And then you know, obviously there's a big thing, kind of not an elephant in the room, but like it's a major thing, like dating, right? I was dating as an Asian person in a white country Very for you, different. you know? Yeah. Like as an Asian person in a Western society, especially as an Asian guy. Yeah. I like to say that Asian guys in Western society are basically invisible. Yeah. To the majority of girls. Even to other Asian girls. Right. Sometimes. I have heard all the, yeah. look, I, I, my, my sister, um, you know, God bless her. <laughs> She's giving me all the arguments. She's like, oh, you know, Asian guys look like my brother, da, 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 whatever. Right. Like, yeah. okay, sure. Um, but basically as a, as an Asian guy in a Western country, you are basically invisible to girls. Yeah. No matter how good looking you are. No matter if K-pop's in trend. Like, I, I don't buy all those arguments. I'm just like, I've seen it. I've seen my friends go through it. Yeah. It's, it's tough, right? Yeah. But then you come to Asia and you realize that you look like every other guy and that all of a sudden it's a level playing field. Mm. And because you've been playing on hard mode for like the last <laughs> 20 years, it's like, oh, this is actually really straightforward. Yeah. It's not as complicated as we yeah. made it out to be. Right. You it's know? not. It's not. And I've, I've heard all the arguments, like, you know, people say, oh, yeah, you're like exploiting people because of the income gap, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, you know, <laughs> you do you, bro. Like, yeah. whatever makes you happy, right? Like, also, as if, that's think, not think whatever you like. as if that's not happening from for every day since the dawn of mankind, you know? Yes. Come and on. keep in mind that, like, there is so much more money here than people realize that it's yeah. not funny. I think that's one of the biggest <laughs> things that surprised me when I moved here. I was like... Because I was living living in Tai Taipei for about three years, and mm. like Taipei compared to California is still like wow. There's a lot of people that like spend money. Yeah, they wanna they wanna be perceived in a and certain wealthy. way, yeah. right? And wealthy and like name brands and like yep. what we would call in the West materialistic shallow, yes. right? But like oh, Thailand is a pioneer. I'm, yeah, like you talk about the Kardashians, social media influence influences. Right, Thailand was into that stuff when I first moved here. Yeah, right. I yeah. remember when Instagram started becoming a thing. People realized that the top two most Instagram places in the world were Siam Paragon yeah. and Suwanapum Airport. And most people were like, where are these places? And they're in Thailand. Thailand have been into brands, have been into yeah. status, have been into social media influence and clout for years. The rest of the world's just catching up. Why do you think that is? That it's more, even more so here than other Asian countries that I've been to? Ooh, okay. Um, one, the internet developed much faster here. Okay. We went from no mobile internet to 3g to 4g to 5g before anyone else 
Okay. Very, very quick. Same with landline speeds. Yeah. Wi-Fi is basically free and ubiquitous everywhere. That's true. I think Thai culture is a very extroverted culture to begin with. So people like showing off and it is a very materialistic culture. Yeah. It's a, uh, it sounds bad when I say it, a shallow, uh, slightly ego-based culture where it's about what you show off. Wealth in Thailand, like you can go to any nice mall here and just look at the car park section. And it's like, right now it'll be like, what is it? Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Teslas, really expensive cars. Rolls Royce is probably a couple of Bentleys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, in Australia, like I would never see that anywhere ever. It's like a rare day you see Ferrari in Australia. Oh, California maybe is a little different because there's a lot of money there, but there's a lot of money. Mostly most places, you, no. Yeah, mostly yeah. you just see Teslas in California. Yeah. Like even in London, okay, London, maybe certain parts of London I saw like a lot of nice Bentleys and Rolls Royces and stuff, yeah. but yeah. nowhere near the amount here. Okay. Yeah. Right. So much money here. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Oh, yeah. I guess this is our other conversation. Feudal society, rich get richer. And then why does that, why has that developed here into basically a, yeah, like feudal society with like serfs yeah, and slaves? So I need to be careful what I say here because there are the laws in Thailand preventing uh, me saying certain things. But basically the structure of Thai society is quasi-feudal. And actually that's probably all I can really say about that on a public podcast. So. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> fair. There's some people that benefit at the top that don't want things to change. And yeah, yeah that's always how it is, right? Essentially. Yeah, um, good or bad. You know, social mobility is not as big of a thing here yeah. as it is in the Western countries. Yeah. Um, actually, the most socially mobile, uh, I don't know this from first-hand experience. I know it's from looking at the data. The most socially mobile countries are actually in Europe, not in not in the Anglosphere. Oh, I don't think it's the, the West anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Business-wise, yes. But in terms of like, if you just get a job and work your way from blue collar to white collar up the chain, right. uh, Europe is much better for that. I agree. Yeah. I think it's better to, to, to make your money in the US and then spend it in Europe. Oh, yeah, heard, absolutely. Right? Or, you know, spend it in Asia, yeah, actually. Magic internet money is made in US dollars, so. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Why is there wealth concentrated in Thailand? So, Thailand has the largest population of integrated Chinese immigrants in the world. Okay. Like, almost, I think it's like one in seven Thai people walking around Bangkok has some Chinese ancestry. Okay. And the Chinese came here mostly as merchants mm. and traders, mm -hmm. and they worked hard because they were not accepted by Thai society because they didn't have nobility and titles at the time, and they couldn't own land. So, okay. they built... A lot of the industry, a lot of the factories, all the companies that we see today. Okay. Right. And their children have inherited all of those. Right. So it's not uncommon to have a middle class Thai who inherits a family business that mm. produces a million dollars a year in profit. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon here. Really? And that is why there's a lot of wealth. And back in the day, back in the 60s, 70s, there was nothing to buy. Like literally, <laughs> like think about it. Mom and dad made all this money with a box factory. Okay. What are they going to buy? I don't know, man. Like maybe, you know, on the one, trip they flew on a rickety pan am flight to america like they bought back some bags or something yeah but this just wasn't available to consumer goods but now well, there's plenty to buy now thailand is like one of, the, one of the leaders in the world in luxury goods right yeah yeah it's plenty and so now you have kids flashing essentially family money yeah and that's why there's so much visible wealth in thailand is there something to my theory that like something about like thai you know for example taiwanese people mm. they go abroad for like education for mm -hmm. masters and they stay abroad. Ah, yeah, Thai just, do that, generally speaking. Right, they stay or they go and come back, right? It depends on the class. So oh. if you are a lower class, okay, lower class Thailand people, like rural farmers, you will never get to go abroad anyway. Mm, yeah, right? that, sure. That's never going to happen. Right. Middle class to like maybe upper middle class. No, maybe not upper. Slightly below upper, upper middle class. Yeah. They will go and they will try to stay. Okay. Right, they will try to stay because... There's no social mobility in Thailand. I see. They they know that if they marry a foreigner or if they start a family overseas, they are more likely to move up a corporate ladder because of their merits and their ability and talents rather than what society says. Okay. But if you're upper middle class, you are like the, you know, grounded aristocracy or whatever, <laughs> land-owning class. Sure, yeah. Um, Factory-owning, company-owning class in Thailand. Right. You're going to come back to a $10 million year business. Why would you stay abroad? Already set table. Yeah. Especially yeah. when Bangkok has been developed to have all the comforts of the West. Probably even more comforts than the West. More. <laughs> right? Many more. Like, have you ever seen a dirty bathroom in Thailand, in no. Bangkok? Weirdly, I no. I haven't seen one in the last 10 years. Weirdly, no. Yeah. Because yeah. they have 24-hour staff cleaning them. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, now that you mention it. So, it's just basically people don't, Thai don't leave. Or they come back. They come back. They will go get their foreign degrees from universities, and some good, some bad but they will right. almost always come back because life is better here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's think about other Asian countries, right? Mm. Taiwan. Okay. Sorry, I Taiwan, actually don't not have the connection about Taiwan, so okay, but I assume they, they want to leave and stay. Oh, they want to leave. Stay <laughs> <out of> the <laughs> country. Mostly yeah. they want to leave. It's yeah. developing, it's better. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, you have a little bit more uh, 
earning power, but not really. Not yep. compared to if you go to California, for yep. example. Yep. In most places, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you are trying to escape a place. Yes. Here, it seems like people are going abroad to like kind of bolster their qualifications or their resume and then come back. Yeah, and get a high paying job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've never seen that before either. Yeah, it depends as well. Um, like I know I have a lot of Malaysian Chinese friends. Okay. They leave because the structure of the government society is it's kind of biased against them because they're not, they're not um, Muslim. They're not native Malays. They don't have the same opportunities in their society. They don't have, they, they don't have like a Malaysian passport? They do. They just don't have the same opportunities. They don't? Yeah, there is actual discrimination in Malaysia against, Malaysia, against non-Muslims. Oh, you got to put your, your, uh, your religion on your ID card, right? In Thailand? Um, in also here. Yeah, also here. Also no one, here. Here they don't care. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, but in Malaysia, it's like a real important thing. Um, right? It's also about ethnicity. Okay. Native Malays and Malaysian Chinese look very different. Very different. You look a little more Malay than me. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> more time in the sun. Yeah. Um, exactly. But then again, to be fair, Singapore reverses that, right? Like Singapore promotes Chinese people to That's have right. families and develop, and then they penalize you know, people of Malay ethnicity for doing the same thing. That's right. Let's, let's it's take just it that in reverse. Revenge. This is revenge <laughs> for our other brothers. Yeah, basically. But all, all these things seem to benefit people like us, right? Yeah, I think the way that we operate is sort of, we're not really in the system, so to speak. And we, no. don't want, we don't want to be. Don't we just want to be. live our lives and yeah. in contentment and happiness. Yeah. And Thailand is a great place for that. Isn't it? Don't mess with the powers that be. Don't get involved in politics, monarchy, any of that stuff. Yeah. Just live your life, obey the laws, don't do anything silly. You'll be fine. What about the, all, this, all this chatter about it's your civic duty to be involved? Not that I agree or disagree with it. I disagree with it, but... Uh, okay, I'll give you my perspective. I'm Australian. We have one of the world's best democracies, functioning democracies. Voting is mandatory. I think like 96 to 99% of population votes. What happens if you don't vote? You get fined. Whoa. Yeah. It's a good you, system. You actually get fined. It's a lot system. of money too. And we've had a two-party system for as long as I can remember. Okay. And apart from a very few minor things, they're not all that different who's in government. It's the same rubbish over and over again. <laughs> okay. The same lobbying, the same okay. semi I mean, they call it lobbying. It's essentially a form of corruption, bribery, right? Yes. Bribery and corruption. Yeah. Nothing ever really changes. Okay. Yeah. You know, so functioning democracy, civic duty, I'm like, okay, I believe in da-da-da. Makes no difference because of the way our preference system, one of the major parties is getting voted in oh, and no. nothing's going to change. Right. So let's opt out of caring. So, yeah. So as an Australian, I think, I can't remember the exact, but after living so number of years abroad, I don't have to vote anymore. So I don't. Mm. Yeah. I stopped reading news a few years ago. Yeah. I, I kind of have to read news for, for work stuff, but... Uh, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, I tell you from the politics. Yeah, well... I try that's, to. I try to. Dude, I got sucked into the politics thing. Uh, I was no. like doom scrolling politics for oh, like no. an hour yeah, a day. absolutely not. It's like a soap opera in the US. That's why. It is. It's entertainment. It is bread I, and... I can see. I can see that. Bread and games for the masses. Yeah. I know... Yeah, I know more about U.S. politics than I really want to or care about, simply because it's forced. Yeah. visibly, it's visible everywhere. It's visible everywhere. Yeah. Even even sometimes when I accidentally switch to the Thai, like the Thai news channel, it's <laughs> like they're like blah, 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 Biden. I'm like, okay, no, why? Like, why? I yeah, I left. Yeah. I left there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, like don't you guys yeah. have your own internal shit to report on? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> anyway, okay, so something that you you brought up that would be kind of fun for us to talk about is social skills, and uh, what what did you mean by that? I think. Social skills is something that should be taught in schools. That is not. Oh, okay. So this is like also emotional, emotional EQ, intelligence as well, stuff like that. Yeah, social okay. intelligence, emotional intelligence. Okay, those are very learnable skills. I know because I had to learn them. Ah, they're just not formally taught in education. Then they should be. And that, I think people suffer in life because they they're not taught those things. That's true. That is. Uh, oh, we're gonna get racial. That that I feel like that's where white parents do excel. <laughs> In some weird way. Is it? I mean, the argument, the other argument side I've seen is like, well, that's, okay, like, yeah, white parents excel in that, but it's also, the other argument I said is like, if you were accepted as a citizen of that country, oh, I see. you would learn it just through osmosis. You would just, yeah, people would be more accepting towards yeah, you. And so like, it, yeah. it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I know growing up as like one of three Asian kids in my primary school, yeah, social skills, definitely something can be and should be taught. Yeah. What do you feel like you got from your parents in that regard? My mom is probably one of the best salespeople I've ever seen. Hmm. Almost to the point of being annoying. Does she teach me of that? No. She's typically Asian parent. Oh, we can talk about Asian parents next. Yeah. Oh, yeah she's yeah, typically yeah. Asian parent about that. Right, like, right, right. teach me anything. Uh, whatever I learn, I, I learn through happy coincidental observation. And the rest I kind of have to figure out myself. Okay. Uh, my dad was not great in the social skills department. Right. Um, so really, like for me, what I had to do was when I moved to the US by myself, I didn't know anyone. In San Francisco. Yeah. Literally no one. It's tough. And I had to build an entire social circle from scratch, make friends, 
you know, date, whatever. Um, and that kind of forced me to be like, okay, I'm going to go on an accelerated learning path to uh, figuring this out. Oh. <laughs> Do you also, did you have an Excel spreadsheet about your findings? No, I have a journal though. Ah, same, yeah. same, man. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the biggest thing that you, you discovered that you lacked or that you like the biggest deficiency? Was there something? The biggest deficiency for social skills? Yeah, that you like feel like you had to like, that you gained. The biggest delta. Uh, I'll say one part of it is just not caring too much about what other people think. Mm, That's okay. one. Um, but not so much that it creates permanent problems. Okay. So don't do anything that lands you in jail, right? <laughs> that's, um, that's a good tip, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, generally, you know, it's it's better to ask for forgiveness and permission, but not to the point where it causes, like, problems. Oh, I see. Yeah. So this is, like, passive versus proactive. Yeah, there's definitely that. I wish someone had told me very earlier on that things like body language cues to voice tonality and stuff are learnable and readable. Hmm. Um, that would have saved me a lot of time if I'd known that rather than you know, being told my entire life, oh, you know, some people have it, some people don't. Oh, yeah. yeah thanks. That was real helpful. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that, Teach. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go kill myself now. Thank you. Shoot myself. All right. Um, also, repetition is great for a lot of things, right? Okay. If you want to learn social skills, you need to go out and meet people. You can't yeah. learn them reading a book. You got to go put it into practice. You got to put it into practice. And see how people yeah, react. I wish someone had. The way I've best succinctly been told that is like, you miss every shot you don't take. Okay, Michael Jordan. Right, so, is that Michael Jordan quote? I think so. Right. I mean, it was true in sports. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's also true in business. Yeah. Right, when that's you're doing true. sales and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think right. it's true in your social life and dating life too. Okay. Every shot you don't take, you're guaranteed to miss. You're better off taking it and missing it than not taking it at all. Oh, there's some quote that's similar to that. It's like it's better to feel the pain of rejection than the pain of regret. Yes, that is. I've heard that one too. Is that correct, or did I get that reversed? Yeah. Yeah, and go. then the other thing is like, you know, if a social interaction doesn't go well, it's not the end of the world, <sighs> even though it can feel like it sometimes, but right. it really isn't. People you're forget. Not, you're not even going to remember it in like a year's time. They won't either. not next week's time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So I have to, I have to assume that your dating uh, also was, what's the word? What's a good word? Underdeveloped in Sydney. Under, yeah, I went to an old boys school in Australia. <laughs> oh, damn. Very so, underdeveloped. Uh, actually, you know, I would, in undeveloped in that sense, but. Like, if anyone asked me, would you send your kids to an all-boys school, all-girls school? I would say, yes, do it. Why? Um, Sell me on it. Sure. There were no distractions, man. We just focused on learning. Okay. We have really good environment. I went to a very good school, too. Okay. All my classmates are extremely intelligent and yeah. gone on to do great things. Like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, there was no distractions. There was no, like, gossip about, like, oh, who's dating who, who made out with who behind the toilet sheds and all that kind of stuff. Mm. We literally just focused on being the best fine young gentleman that we could. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's the terminology that school uses. It's one of those preppy grammar schools with the uniforms and ties and everything. So that was great. It did not prepare me for my first day of university. I walked in and like half the campus is female. And right. like, you know, you go to old guy school, like the only females you see are your teachers. Right. The only women you see sorry, are your teachers, right? right? Yeah. You walk in and there's like, there's women everywhere. And you're like, what do I do? Haven't spoken, you know, and... At the end of your teens, your hormones are still raging somewhat, so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was very, very awkward for to figure that stuff out. Yeah. What is your relationship with your parents these days? <sighs> um, oh, the size says yeah, it all. size says it all, doesn't it? Oh, man. Uh, it's a public podcast, right? Okay, look, I don't have the best relationship with my parents. My dad is pretty good. Like, we talk regularly. I always try to make an effort to see him whenever we're in the same place. That's fine. Uh, my mom is a bit more difficult, so... Yeah, she's very, um, what's, I don't know what the English word for it is, actually. <laughs> what, uh, what language are you thinking? I think this is like a Chinese Tai Chochu term, like Susie Tai Hao uh, is what I'm thinking of. Mm. There's like a stereotypical dragon lady, oh. tiger mother, mm -hmm. tiger mother, tiger mother kind of yeah. archetype. She's that. Oh, like uh, right. anxious herself and then very, uh, not what's the word? Um, Did not have uh, a great relationship with her parents, never resolved it, yeah. never dealt with it, and yeah. carried the same thing over to my sister. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's good in that it pushed us to excel, yeah. right, to develop ourselves. Yeah. It's bad in that it's very hard to have a adult child to parent relationship with her. Because she doesn't see you. She doesn't see an adult. Yeah, she sees you as a... Yeah. And with fire. all sorts of things. And, you know, older people... Um, our parents' age are just as susceptible to the influences of social media as young people are, mm. right? So they mm. get all these crazy ideas from their friends, from WeChat, WhatsApp, Line groups. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, what is this? You know, yeah. like, right. And they think it's reality all of a sudden. Yeah. Don't tell me your mom's a trumper. 
I mean, we do have Trump rallies in Australia, but no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Another weird thing I learned today. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. Okay. So this is why you mentioned at some point that like uh, you think a lot of guys have mommy issues. Yeah, especially in traditional Asia. Um, by yeah. tra- I mean like here in Asia. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a lot of women have father issues. A lot of guys have mother issues. Oh, my dating history is littered with <laughs> women with. Daddy yeah, but issues. I mean, we were talking about this, and we were saying like, is it possible to find without? No. It, you take a very well-adjusted, very well-developed, self-aware person to deal with that and walk away from it. Well, to be honest, would that person even be interested in me? (laughs) Right? Right. This person is so well developed, (laughs) well adjusted that, like, I don't. I think they're gonna see me before you know what I mean. Before I see them, so. Um, But you know, parents here, like, I feel like it's almost a bit of a bad joke. Asian Mm. parents, they watch television, yeah, and they see how parents on a sitcom or a drama or a soap opera act, and then they act the same way in real life. And they don't realize it's television. It's entertainment. It's not. That's not how real parents act or are supposed to act. Do you think media reflects society or the other way around? I think it's become both. Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle now. It's just like feeding feeding into itself. Yeah, that reminds me. I was watching a a, um, a Thai movie called Friend Zone. Maybe you've seen yeah, it. I try not to watch Thai movies. It's but, uh, it's real bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. But I think it was very popular here. And the thing is, I was watching it and I thought it was kind of funny. But I was at the same time thinking this would never work in the U.S. You know why? Because the characters are too crazy and too unlikable. But I think there's something about the culture here that's like, yeah, I get that. And people will mimic their favorite yes. soap opera actresses, actors, whatever, and exactly. create drama unnecessarily in their lives here. Exactly. It's a little interesting. So there's some kind of like regulation about this in the West, maybe, but like it's like it's unfettered here. It's like I mean, there are soap operas in in the West. It's just people that is not as popular, and people yeah. don't don't really live their lives according yeah. to them. It's not. They yeah. didn't become like main, super mainstream. Yeah. Here like, it's yeah. mainstream, and it's like people, as you say, like wow, start to mimic yeah. the behaviors, which. Yeah. Do not need to be mimicked. They were written by a scriptwriter somewhere, right? right? It, these, it's not real life, right? People think it is. These behaviors make you an insane partner, <laughs> insane person. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, generally, and then a lot of people. And that's that like, that Asian parent phenomenon. A big part of it oh, here is that. So from they, they play up the stereotype of the Asian parent that they see. You know, the unavailable, like government oh. official dad, oh, right. or like the super controlling but glamorous mother. Right. Like they, they do that. They literally do that in real life here. That's so funny. Yeah. These are the stereotypes. Yeah. But they get acted out in real life to an extreme. Have you ever watched any Thai soaps? I watched some when I was learning Thai. Okay. I couldn't stand it. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, they generally I, yeah. all the same. They are all the same. And yeah. if they're anything similar to Taiwan, Taiwanese ones, because I used to watch those when I was learning Chinese. It's, yeah. Here's what it is, right? It's the very stoic, reserved guy. Yep. Who like is is rich. He's so rich, but he has no <laughs> EQ. And then there's a very plucky and like fearless uh, heroine. Okay. The, you know yeah, the female yeah. protagonist, and she's like beautiful, and she's like a hard worker, and then like they hate each other at first, and then usually someone's parent dies or something like that. So, you know, there's all this inherent weird messaging, right? It's like yeah. the guy's like, you need to be this weird, like a weird guy. You need to be weird and like <laughs> silent and strong, but you need to be dominant. Like you need to dominate this woman mm. and tell her what to do, and she'll like it. And then on the female side, it's like, yeah, you need to like chase this guy. You need to be like available for him. And then when he dominates you, you need to take it or you need to like mm. it. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, I think ties are different. They're different archetypes. Yeah. It could be. But they all follow the There's same nothing pattern. healthy here, though. No, there's <laughs> actually zero there's healthy there. All right. yeah. Do we benefit from these archetypes when we're dating? <sighs> I think so. Because we're not insane you're people. Just living in society, like if yeah. you're emotionally level-headed and a bit intelligent about your decisions, like you can just cut through so much of the noise that impacts other people that's true yeah do you feel like you've resolved your mother mommy issues <laughs> as best i can yeah I think. yeah yeah that's a lifetime thing man yeah but it does you know for some and you know i've seen this in a lot of people right it's like if you have a lot of pressure and expectations on you mm-hmm. ah, i hate that i'm gonna reference this but this is like because it's so ig right but it's like hey pressure makes diamonds or dust <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. <laughs> I, hate that, I hate that I had to say it that way, but it just makes sense. It's like, you know, the pressure is going to motivate you to succeed or it's going to just make you crumble. Yeah. And so actually I can speak on the same thing for me. It's like, it's not for my mom, it's for my dad, but like just a very high expectation, very harsh and not very like approving, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Pretty standard. But that really pushed me into like achievement. Yes. Which is... Yeah, as it does. Yeah. That's actually a big part of the secret behind like the whole Asian... Um, model minority 
<laughs> yeah. Stereotype. Yeah. Unhealthy it's just, family. It's dynamics. just unhealthy family pressure. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. it's what creates that. That's true. There's no secret. There's a real secret. This is that. <laughs> just be mean to your kids, and then things will work out. They'll go to Harvard, and, and then have a bad relationship with you for the rest of their lives. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, a trade-off. That's the acceptable trade-off. It seems, isn't yeah. it? It yeah. does. It kind of seems like that's like the trade that they will make. My kid hates time. me, but. He's a doctor. He's a doctor. Yeah. My kid hates me, but she lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, she made partner. Yeah. It's like, oh, but and how We haven't spoken in five yeah. years. Yeah. She hasn't. We haven't seen oh, her for Christmas. Not because she hit me, but because she's so busy. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she's so busy with work. As a part. Yeah. Sure. Terrible, man. Sure. Sure she is. Oh. Yeah. So all that stuff is worse here. Yeah. yeah. It is. What do you do exactly? For work? Yeah, we'll switch, we'll switch gears now. Yeah, so I help business owners and their companies optimize performance. Okay, um, that is acceptably vague, but maybe you can elaborate. <laughs> sure, uh, I get into the nitty gritty of business, business operations and systems. Okay. Find out what is working well and make it better. Find out what isn't working and make it work. Yeah. And generally do all sorts of magic machinery stuff on the inside to produce more profits. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right. One time I had a business coach, and this is maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago. And really the biggest thing that he, uh, that I got from him was to take an hour every week to plan my next week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I assume that's part of what you're giving out? Uh, on, on the executive coaching side, yes. Yeah. But I actually get a bit more hands-on with the actual teams and managers and structures yeah. as well. So you're implementing like a, like a notion, like a, something like that. On occasion, I will do that. Yeah. Um, generally, like I find that the highest impact is usually just advice, advice. For things to do for strategic decisions, for hiring decisions. Oh. Um, look, sometimes companies just need someone who's an expert to come in and say, this is the right decision, go and do it. Okay. Right? Yeah. Sometimes they've been like back and forth, wishwashing on a decision for like six months that they, they know is going to be good for the business, but there's like a 1.5% risk factor and they don't want to do it. Okay. And they just need someone to come in and be like, I've run the numbers again. Do you it. guys are correct. Do it. And they do it and they make an extra million dollars the next year. Right. Sometimes companies just need that. And there's value in that. So, what, would you, what would you say your, um, your deepest expertise is and that they would consult you on then? Ooh deepest expertise. Oh, let me phrase it another way. So, um, yeah, it, it is a lot of the times helpful for someone that is an expert in something to just do this, call the decision. Mm -hmm. So what would you say your, your like, uh, primary skill in that regard is? I don't know if it's primary skill. I'm very good at assessing yeah. like what a business actually needs to do. Okay. So if you give me like an hour with the business owner, an hour with the team, I can probably tell you like top three to six things that if you do will make you significantly more money in the next year. Okay. Like very, very quickly. I'm sure there is an underlying process to that. There must uh, be. <laughs> but a lot of it is just unconscious competence at this point. So Yeah. What's your experience plus time? It's just good judgment, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, this is going to sound totally woo-woo. It's like if I walk into a client <laughs> office, I can like, you know, feel the vibes and really? the general really? what's going at atmosphere in the office and be like, this person, I don't know why, this person is your problem. They need to go. Shit. They go, you will make more money. Really? Yeah. And it has and played like, out that way. I, I will figure out why later. I will run the numbers and look at the data streams and everything and yeah. be like, okay, they're doing da, 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 da. This is why it's costing you money. Oh, okay. Right. Eventually, I will figure that out. Yeah. But in the beginning, I just like, the gut feeling is, this is the problem. I don't know why. I can't tell you why yet, but I'll, I guarantee you, in two weeks' time, we will work out through analysis, yeah. logical analysis. Why they are the problem. the problem. Yeah. And you've been correct. <laughs> Most of the time. Wow. What do you think it is? I mean, there's attitude. Um, it goes back to what we said about social skills, Yeah, right? True. It's just like when you learn social skills yeah. and you combine them with strong business analysis skills and experience, Yeah, you can just read it. Oh, that's a good skill set to have, yeah. those things together. Yeah. In fact, like, there's actually another topic. Oh, this is what I, I, I didn't write this in the message to you. Um, yeah. This is a good topic to talk about. Uh, street smarts and intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. This is uh, very interesting to me because um, I'm a really smart dude. I say that as modestly as possible. <laughs> I think you're a very intelligent person. I think you have uh, a lot of power. I'm not the most smartest dude. I have a lot of friends who are much more intelligent than I am, but they're like, they're really, really smart. Like really, 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 really smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that intelligence is downplayed in, in the modern world, especially in the US. How do you mean downplayed? What does that mean? Um, it's all about street smarts, man. Oh, you're saying that is the more important factor. People pit them against each other and say that if you have straight smarts, you don't need intelligence. Oh, that's not true. They really <laughs> underestimate the power and appeal of intelligence and its usefulness in the real world. Ah, that just sounds like a good excuse for a lot of people. 
It is. And that's yeah. that's a conclusion I came to, which is like all the people who downplay intelligence and upplay or promote street smarts are those who lack a lot of raw intelligence. Yeah. Because intelligence is not something you can really develop. A lot of it is really just your early upbringing and genetics, unfortunately. I think so. Unfortunately. I so. Fortunately, I don't know. Fortunately, unfortunately. A lot of it really is that you kind of change it too much. So right. if you don't have it, right. that's tough luck. If you don't right. have it, you better you say you got something else. <laughs> I know. You better say you got something else, yeah. right? But yeah. for example, business analysis or yeah. any kind of research and analysis, really. Right? Analysis is just intelligence. Understanding, understanding uh, statistics, patterns. understanding yeah. patterns, yeah. understanding the numbers. People really downplay how useful that is. <laughs> it is exceptionally useful. <laughs> that's what allows you to do what you do. And what you're really talking about, I think, is like... Good judgment. Yeah. yeah. And it comes from intelligence. Yeah. For example, yeah, I'm a book publisher, right? Yeah. I've made over 250 book covers damn. and like, <laughs> I'm pretty damn good at it. I'm good at it. But like, I can tell someone else how to do it exactly, yeah. right? I can tell them what to do. I can tell them how to do it. I can tell them what milestones to use, what kind of uh, your heuristics to use. Yep. doesn't matter because I have the judgment because yep. I've been doing it. Yep. So the same for you, right? Yeah. And I think people don't realize that if you use your intelligence, you learn some analysis skills, you learn some emotional intelligence and social skills, you can do a lot in the business world. Yes. A lot. Yeah. And people are more like, oh, I need to learn to code. I need tech. I need this. I need that. I'm like, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not bad to do if you're, right. if you're stuck on ideas, but and with analysis skills, you can learn almost anything as well. Yeah. I think, how do you, I think, how do you monetize that is what most people are thinking. Cause it's not yes. like a marketable well, skill. Well, here's the thing. Monetization. Yeah. The ability to sell yeah. has actually very little to do with analysis skills. Oh, that's right. True. A lot of the times, I mean, not a lot of times, most of the times, buying decisions are completely emotional. Yeah. So if you walk into, um, I mean, you know, I'm essentially a consultant by profession, right? I walk More. into a client office. Yeah. I can present, I can present with charts, with process diagrams, with numbers, with everything. Right. At the end of the day, the decision is really an emotional one. Yeah. How much do I like Aaron and trust him with my business? Absolutely. And how much do I think that's worth? Absolutely. That's. You know, that's why you need the social skills and the emotional intelligence. You need to be able to sell in addition to doing the actual work. What we have a problem of in the modern world, the US-led online internet is very guilty of this, is a lot of people who are great at selling and presenting and falsifying numbers who yeah. actually can't deliver. That's true. It's gone to, go on, uh, they call it LLC Twitter, right? <laughs> right? It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I helped my clients sell over $138 million in the last six months. Right. Uh, no, you didn't. Your clients collectively made $138 million together. Right. And they would have made all of that without of you. Yeah. You just helped them tweak a couple of email campaigns. Right. You didn't make $138 million. Your clients did. It's a very big difference. Yeah, of course. Right? But people don't realize that. They see the number and they're like, oh, this guy's a genius. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to pay him $5,000 for his you know, 21 day coaching program or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Total life transformation program. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of this is just, it's, it's rampant. Okay. So what do you think about the role of luck? I think luck is very important. Uh, I think luck and opportunity are both very important. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm totally get this wrong. What is it? There are three types of luck. There's man-made luck, earthly luck, and heavenly luck, I think it is. Uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with this, so go on. Okay. So man-made luck is preparation, is putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Okay. Uh, earthly luck is, I want to say, just a general awareness of things going on around you, like okay. finding opportunities and capitalizing on them. Okay. And then heavenly luck is like literal luck, like winning the lottery or something. Okay. You know, and okay. you kind of need all three. Yeah, that's true. Right. The first two you can kind of control, the last one you can't. Okay. So you maximize the first two. and. Do you feel like you've maxed the first two pretty well? To varying degrees at various phases across my life. Definitely could have done a better job on opportunities and stuff. <laughs> Right. You think so? I think. Oh, I, think I, I absolutely know so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Are we talking about business or not? Um, I think in life, probably life I've done better. Yeah. Uh, in business, like, um, it's probably a contentious topic to talk about. Um, at the time that crypto was exploding, I had some friends who got in very early who were okay. like, Aaron, would you like to join us? But I was busy in another business and I was just like, I don't have right. time for this. Right. Uh, they went on to become billionaires. So good for them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> could always be worse. Could always be better. Uh, could too. always be worse. Right. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. I have one of my good friends in Taipei. He's, um, yeah, he also founded a, I don't know. I'm not really in the crypto world. He no, founded no, something. No, no, and then so the, you know, the kind of the moment it went live, he was like, dude, I have a, I have a nine figure, yeah. <laughs> uh, eight figure site. No, he was nine figure. I have a nine figure uh, net worth now. I'm like, cool. Now what? He's like, all right, I'm just going to go go sushi row now. I'm like, going to go get dinner and that's all. Life doesn't change. How was your billionaire friend's life? Gone on to make a lot more money. 
Really? He's a true business guy. He yeah. loves business. Good for so, him. Yeah, I don't think I could be like that. Do you think someone like that is driven by their mommy or daddy issues? I think he's driven by Docker issues. Uh, for his privacy, I won't go into what they are. Okay, but, sure, yeah. But he's definitely driven by his own demons. I kind of feel like a lot of people that are achieving like that, that don't stop, that don't slow down. They're driven by something. Oh, dark, yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually. There's the void yeah. that they're trying so to fill. So basically, pay. we are not fucked up enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, if, if only I was more fucked up, I'd be more rich. Wouldn't be this is the biggest irony? You go back to your Asian parents and be like, mom, dad, you did not mess us up enough. Right. <laughs> you messed me up to middle manager level. Yeah. Not to, yeah. not to, you know. Right. <laughs> not to not Elon to, Musk not levels. Not to Elon Musk levels. Yeah. Oh, middle management is hell, man. It's terrible. It's like purgatory. Yeah. Okay. So how, how are you evaluating people when you first meet them? Because I have to imagine that um. this is your job, right? It really is your job. And then you've, you know, cultivated these skills. So like, are the questions you ask, what do you look for? How do you observe people? Um, Let's split them. Let's split them into a work category. Okay. And then like a personal category. Okay. Let's do work first. They'll be very different. I bet. Work first. So work, um, generally, if they are a potential client, I will treat them slightly differently than if it's client staff. Two different things. Okay. Um, Because the client, you know, as a consultant, I always have the incentive to close the sale, make money. Right, which I think is generally a good business practice because that's what you're in business to do. Good idea, yes. (laughs) So basically, with the client, I'm always going to ask, "What's in the best interest of the client? Can I actually help them? And can they adequately compensate me? Yeah, right. Can they equitably compensate me? Yeah, because a lot of times I can help them. They have a genuine problem, Mm. but their business is too small, as in it's not equitable compensation for me. Or the client or the lead has a block where they just look at the value of it differently. And they want to doesn't match up. It doesn't match up. Okay. There's no there's no deal there. So right. that's that's client leads, client staff. Um, I'm generally asking, does this person actually know what they're doing? Okay. And is it causing a problem for anyone else in the company? Okay. For the entire business system. Okay. Right. So for example, if I walk into a client office and I see that somebody is just talking all day, right? That's okay. fine. Right. That's fine that they're not doing any work. Okay. Well, it's not really fine. Is but- it? Okay. My bigger concern is, is it stopping everyone else from doing work? Ah, okay. If the answer is yes, that person is a problem, something needs to be done. Okay. All right. So that's a very simplistic example. Yeah. Um, very obvious example. Hmm. Um, when it gets deeper, you start to have things that like, you have employees who are covering up for mistakes that have been made, covering up for other people, using the political leverage with the boss to extract favors and favorable treatment, um, all sorts of craziness. Okay. It's all human behavior stuff. Sure. It's funny because like, you know, I'm a systems expert, and yet a lot of what I do actually involves just human behavior. <laughs> you ever hear this thing, man? It's just every problem's a human, a people problem. It is. Right. Until the AI overlords take over. Then yeah. everything's a coding problem. I look forward to it, yeah. Yeah. One day. Yeah. Soon. Soon. <laughs> Soon. Soon. Yeah. Soon. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So then that's how you were kind of looking at the, the people in a work sense. How about in your personal life? When you meet someone, for example, right? You meet someone at a networking event, yep. like a DC event. Yep. How are you? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? Okay. Um, so generally, I work on the assumption that people have good intentions. I don't think there are any genuinely evil people out there. The two exceptions are sociopaths and narcissists. I okay. think those people are genuinely evil mm. and should be avoided at all costs. Okay. I speak from experience. <laughs> ah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, but everyone else, I think, generally has good intentions. So I start with that frame, which okay. I think is healthy. Okay, that's And then I, I see what it is. Um, some people, I just don't get along with. I find them irritating because they think I'm their top of funnel. They're always trying to sell me on whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. And I just don't care. You know? Right, right. Like, okay, great, buddy, you do this, but <laughs> uh, I'm not your target customer. Stop trying to position yourself as an authority in this when right. I don't care and the people around us don't really care either. Oh, okay, so that's stop, just talk- irritating. stop talking. Yeah, yeah, that's very irritating. Yeah. Everyone else, just be open-minded about it, man. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we live in Thailand. I wouldn't say I live a conventional lifestyle by any means. Nah, not really. Um, so whatever your you know, weird, idiosyncratic lifestyle take on politics, life, and everything is, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, if it's not hurting other people, if, especially if it's not hurting me or anyone I know, um, if you're not being irritating and need to stop talking, <laughs> uh, we could probably get along and be friends. Right? Yeah. You, and there's varying degrees of that. Um, yeah. You know, some people want to hang out with more, some people we don't care. Some people become Instagram buddies, mm. you know, like whatever it is. That's true. That's and true. I think that has to do a lot with um, both shared and common interests, then also different interests. Okay. 
what is something besides the uh, talking, the constantly talking about themselves and trying to pitch you? What is something that makes you not want to? Hypocrisy. Know? I hate it. Oh, and you can see that really quickly in someone. You can see it's pretty obvious. And I think that might also be something specific to my personality. Like I'm a very straightforward guy. What what you see, what you hear here is how I am in almost every aspect of my life, pretty much. Yeah, you're very transparent. Yeah, I, 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 I don't believe in needing to layer stuff and hide it because, huh, actually, why do I believe that? Why is that? Yeah. I, think, I think the inner self is always going to come through at some point if you yeah. get to know someone well enough. I agree. Um, and also by, I don't want to say forcing is not the right word, um, by being like what you see is what you get, mm -hmm. I feel like that pushes me to have higher standards for myself. Oh, interesting. Right? It makes me assess my behavior. Yeah. And I can't then do something that's bad and then hide it by covering it up with lies, whereas a lot of people can do that. Mm, that's a very interesting self form of self self discipline, self flagellation. Whatever you want to call it flagellation, <laughs> yeah. maybe. I don't see it that way. I see it as yeah. like setting better standards for myself. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But you see what you get, hey. Pretty interesting. <laughs> Pretty interesting. I think about it in a little bit different way, but maybe ultimately it's all the same. It's just I think some people are polarizing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Right. Yeah. I would. I mean, I, I don't think I'm particularly polarizing. I don't think you're polarizing. Particularly but I, polarizing. You're but, not polarizing, uh, but I'm just. I'm just uh, trying to make the point that like, if you're yourself, people will like it, yeah. or they don't like it, and like, I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> do what you want. Let the chips fall where they may. Right? Yeah. But I also know that this was not some. This is not where I started. Right. You know, it no. took kind of a long time and to especially get. Especially living in Thailand, there is a lot of layers to stuff here. Oh. Yeah. How, do you how mean? people are in private, how they are to their parents, how they are to society, how they are to the workers, it's all very different. Oh. It's different personalities for everything. Oh, you yeah. must hate that part of it. I don't hate it, I just accept it as part of human behavior. Yeah. Um, I may not be wide that way, but a lot of people are. I think that's the default. You think so? I don't know. Actually, I don't think we are the, I think okay, that the is the default. <laughs> in some way, in some ways, yes. So, yeah. uh, Asian exceptionalism, right? Yes, that's uh, <laughs> Asian efficiency? No. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask about that, so That's I'm just fine, not going to go into yeah. that. Yeah. No, I'll tell you what we're the exception is, and we're taking advantage of this geographic arbitrage thing. Oh, absolutely. For 100%. years. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have any other way. Did you, did you really, like, process it that way, or were you just like, I just think I want to do this, and I think I want to be here? I mean, I did read the 4-Hour Workweek, um, sure, where yeah. the concept of geo-arbitrage came up. I didn't really right. think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, I was just more like, I don't want to live in San Francisco. I don't want to go back to Australia. Right. Um, I get treated better in Asia. Yeah. And the life here is pretty good. Go where you're treated better. Yeah. Like, definitely when I first came here, I wasn't thinking long term or anything. Yeah. I was like, let's see how it goes. Maybe I'll move back to the US after a while. You know, no, maybe move back to Australia. No, now, 2023. After that, I was like, no, no this is good. Right. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people say about their entire life to retire in Thailand. I'm already here. You're kind of living, <laughs> a, you're kind of living that type of life already, right? Yeah. The quality of life here is exceptionally high. So I think it's shockingly high. <laughs> <laughs> I still, that's still my reaction. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is like the privilege of us being. You know, we, we do business and we do well for ourselves, yeah. but it is still shockingly high. Right. I had friends visit from SF a few a few weeks ago, right? <laughs> and then they were like, uh, they thought Bangkok was going to be like a third world city. Yeah, that's what everyone thinks. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. and then they came to stay with me here and they were like, oh shit, this yeah. is way better than I SF. remember one of my friends from San Francisco came. Yeah. And before he came, he messaged me. He was like, Aaron, can, okay? I buy, can I buy toothpaste in Thailand? Dude, what the? Come on, man. It's not, <laughs> it's not, not the African bush, man. Yeah, right. But to be fair, there are probably some places in rural Thailand where you can't buy toothpaste, right? You have to go to the nearest city to buy it. Sure, sure. But this is Bangkok we're talking this about. This Bangkok, is essentially a man. first world city. It is. It's, it's chaotic, it's messy, sure, you know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, a lot of places, especially expat bubbles, are first world standard. Yeah. I think this is better than any place I've ever lived in the US, actually. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. And then like, as, as I'm thinking in hindsight, it's like, I feel like it's actually the first time that I lived in such a first rate world-class city. <laughs> Taipei's nice, right? <laughs> um, what's the, do you know what the population of Taipei is? I actually don't. It's under 2 million. What? Yeah. Isn't the whole of Taiwan like only 20 million or something? 24. 20, so, what, but not, people don't live in the capital? Let me look it up. Let me look it up. Taipei. Oh, that blows my population. mind. Taipei population. Oh, sorry. 2.6. So are you telling me the other 20 million something live? Scattered across the island? Yeah. That's crazy. That's so, not bad, but it's crazy. It's not bad, but it actually, like, a lot of Taipei, uh, Taiwan, when you 
Wow, that's like a small city, man. Like a really tiny city. It's not so. So as as I was saying, yeah. I mean, compared to the U.S., it's not. But compared right. to but everywhere you, else, you know, yeah. Asian mega mega, mega city cities, standards, yeah. right? And then as you leave Taipei City, it's like a lot of the areas start to get a little Southeast Asia kind of oh, feeling yeah. because that's just the level of development that it's development. at. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's surprising, right? Yeah, I mean, Bangkok has that apex city problem where yeah. everyone it's a mega city and yeah. the rest of Thailand is grossly underdeveloped in comparison, but. Yeah, they don't seem interested in resolving that. So, <laughs> and we, we we benefit from that. So I'm not going to complain too much. <laughs> You're saying the brain drain from the countryside benefits the brain drain, the, the economic drain, the benefits every, here, everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Boy, this is the rich get richer, huh? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's like capitalism at work, you know? Isn't it though? So you you were saying something earlier that like you you think this is I didn't catch it. You think this is the eventual uh, form that outcome. the U.S. is headed to? Yes. Yeah, so if you take capitalism to its logical conclusion, right? it's okay. Okay, man, okay, this is very contentious. Uh, but one logical, one potential conclusion uh, is you will end up with a country that is run by capital, right? And the nature of capital is that it gets accumulated in the hands of a few very wealthy because the rich get richer. Yes, it's a lot easier to make money when you have money. Sure. In fact, it's ridiculously easier to make money. Ridiculous. When you have, in fact, it's almost unfair. It, yeah. It really is unfair. Yeah. Um, and anyone who has made like a good amount of money in a short amount of time will tell you this. Like it shocks them, especially people who came from working and middle class backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, I was having lunch with a buddy that day. He was like, Aaron, I always knew this, but I never really knew it and felt it until yeah. it happened to me. It is grossly unfair how much money you can make when you already have money. Yeah. It is like way, way, way unfair. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's capitalism. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's true. Right? That's a system. Yeah. This is what uh, the Western forces that be are fighting that's, for. <laughs> that's a feature. That's a feature, not a bug, right? Yeah, that's a feature of capitalism. Yeah. And so Thailand, I think, is one potential outcome of capitalism. Yeah. Which is you end up with a country that's run by essentially an oligopoly. Yes. A bunch of oligarchs. Yeah. Who just keep accumulating more and more and more and more wealth. Right. So Ooh. Thailand is one kind of, in my opinion, kind of the inevitable outcome. And then the other one Could is... Uh, so Russia Putin's is, Russia. Putin's Russia is an oligopoly. Yeah, that's um, true. I was going to say Japan is a quasi-oligopoly as well. Yeah, that, that comes as a surprise to me. How does uh, that Korea, function there? Too, to some degree. So think about Japan. Japan's a democratic society, right? Yeah, um, I guess so. Japan's really a samurai society. That's what it really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a modern Western democracy is laid on top. Right. right, yes. But Japan is essentially run, or a lot of it is controlled by all the big companies. So um, Mitsubishi, Toyota, all the Keiretsus, all, oh, what, all what used to be called Zaibatsus, who funded the Japanese, Imperial Japanese war effort, mm, okay. became Keiretsus, which is, I, I did, actually don't know the distinction in Japanese. But basically, they have a bank, a bunch mm -hmm. of publicly listed companies, and a bunch of manufacturing. And they're all government-related? Like they all have very close ties with the government. Okay. Um, and they essentially help the LDP, who yeah. is the main party in Japan, win elections. Okay. Right? Without them, political parties would not win elections. Sounds like an oligopoly. So yeah. it's an oligopoly. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, people don't know this about democracy in Asia. Most democracies in Asia are actually one-party states. Hmm. People think that, you know, okay, only China is a one-party state, right? Yeah. Uh, no, Japan is, with the exception of like four years, Japan is essentially a one-party state. Okay. It's always been the LDP. Didn't know. Um, I know that. I'm pretty sure. And Taiwan until like what? 2000 and uh, 90s, I think. Was it 90s or 7? It was always the Kuomintang, right? Oh, uh, 90s. Yeah. yeah. And then it changed and it's always been the, the opposition yeah, since then. Right. Um, Singapore has always been uh, People's Action Party. Well, Singapore. <laughs> since the 60s, right? I, think like I, I look at Singapore as a benevolent dictatorship. It essentially is. But right. it's technically a democracy, but it's also a one party state. Okay, fair. Right. Fair. Um, actually, a lot of the democracy is really one party state, just through whether through legislation, through legal disputes, through whatever. <laughs> really good at winning elections. Right. That's just how it is. Right. Yeah. People don't realize that. China has, the CCP just has bad marketing. The CCP among other things. legitimately has bad marketing. Well, the yeah. Western powers that be have amazing PR marketing. That's what happens when you can really uh, encourage people to be creative in society. They really do. Yeah, right. Like the West does. So then back to Thailand, right? So mm. you just see it as kind of being a rich get richer. I mean that, that yeah. That, I mean that idea that like Thailand is the end state of the U.S. kind of has popped in while we were talking about it. Right. Um, but it kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? Oh, I, I like, think it's inevitable. Influencers, yeah. statuses, Kardashians. That was like in Thailand ten years ago, yeah. and our oligopoly uh, structure of society kind of seems to be where the U.S. is headed. <laughs> It's funny because you would think the typical line of reasoning is that people in the West are influencing, you know. And they are. That's, yeah. that's true. 
but but it, but it seems like the uh, you know things are a little more more advanced in the in terms of the crumble of society here. Move a bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. For, for better or for worse. Uh, I don't know which one. Okay, as we're kind of finishing up here, what um, mm. I know you're making systems for work, for companies, mm-hmm. for businessmen, for CEOs. Any uh, interesting systems or kind of processes you live in your daily life? Oh, yeah, everything. Oh, yeah. Everything's systemized. Oh, yeah. I, I love that stuff, man. Oh, like, yeah. You could do that stuff all day. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously a huge productivity nerd guy. Yeah. And I think if something can be systemized, it should be. Yeah. Pretty much everything from eating to working out to how you manage your social life. We were talking about it on, a, on the mastermind call this morning. Yeah, um, connecting with people, following up. How do you? Uh, I bet you have everything. a. I bet you have a social CRM. I used to be a lot better at this. Yeah. I, during COVID, I kind of got bad at it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's time to dust it off and uh, figure out something that that works effectively. So what what would that consist of? It's like how often you keep in touch with someone, or what? Yeah. So. Look, it's like this. Everyone wants to keep in touch. You go out to a networking event, you meet people. You're like, everyone wants to keep in touch. For sure. But the reality is someone has to be organized enough to make it happen. True. And most people just can't bother putting in the effort. Even if that effort's a few text messages. Right. Right. True. That's just reality. It's reality, yeah. And what I've kind of, I I guess my perspective was and and is going to be going forward that like, look, if that has to be me, so be it. Mm. Right. I know some people are completely apathetic to text messages Mm. and- social stuff and i respect that like sometimes people have mental health issues they need time off fine whatever sure right but um if you want to connect with people you can expand your network you need to make the effort to book in coffees lunches dinners podcasts yeah. whatever it is you yeah. you need, make, need to make an effort to make it happen yeah it's not going to happen just through wishful thinking right no. someone needs to do it someone needs to do it and if that yeah. has to be me so be it right because i mean this is um this is an interesting other side of my of me. It was like systems is one thing, mm. but I also like I've never shied away from hard work. Mm. Um, and maybe this is like a Asian, you know, Asian parent, mommy, forcing pressure onto you kind yeah. of thing. I'm Thanks, like, mom. look, if I if I'm not smarter than anyone else, at least I can at least I can work more than them. <laughs> That's totally the tiger mom. Yeah, right. I can outwork them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a deadly combo, though. Yeah. That's good. I think if I was to make a guess, I think this is something that started when you started moving around. Right? No, you, I was I've really? always been like this. Yeah. Oh, the CRM stuff? Oh, the CRM stuff. Definitely when I started moving around. Yeah, the hard work stuff since I was young. Oh, yeah. yeah. But when you're moving around and you're, you're building new life circles, social yeah. circles, you have to do it. Yeah. Or you just have no friends. Pretty much. Especially I, because you did work for yourself, right? So. Yeah. I don't have a connection at work to build. Yeah. yeah. No, or, or like university friends or something. So I like, do. I'm very tight with, uh, actually, I'm very tight with my high school friends. But they're not here. Yeah. They're all over the world. Um, oh, okay. But we do, we do catch up okay. regularly. So Yeah. I don't think I could have moved here uh, to Thailand very successfully a few years ago because I didn't um, have the social CRM skills. Right, right, right. Fair enough. Yeah. Now I'm organized. I can yeah. share with you later what yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm organized. I have a spreadsheet. It's uh, a spreadsheet. It's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, man, because you're moving someplace. Uh, you meet man. a bunch of people at a, a networking event. That's top of funnel, right? And you see who <laughs> makes it down the funnel all the way to the end and converts into a true friend. <laughs> It's the same with dating. Yes. Which we won't talk about on this one. No, I don't think so. So that's uh, probably a good place to, to, to call it for today. But yeah, right, thanks man. for talking with me. Yeah, thanks okay. for having me. Thanks.